Delia, so nice to see you. I'm talking to Delia McCabe today. Delia is a neuroscientist and she has a background in psychology and she's now a nutritional neuroscientist with a focus on stress. And Delia and I are going to talk about conspiracies, conspiracy theories and conspiracy theories on the brain. Delia, welcome. So nice to see you. Hi, Gabby. It's lovely to be here again. Thank you for the invitation. You're very welcome. So good. And what an exciting topic, talking about conspiracy theories on the brain. Um, something I think we can all relate to in this time of the way the world is at the moment. And I just want to read a definition because I feel like we hear that conspiracy theory and some people may not really be clear on what that actually means. So the definition is a conspiracy theory is an explanation of an event or situation that invokes a conspiracy by sinister or powerful groups, often politically motivated when other explanations are more probable. The term has a negative connotation implying that the appeal to a conspiracy is based on prejudice or insufficient evidence. And I, I agree with that. It can tend to have a negative, if you say conspiracy theory, people come up with like, you know, imagine cultish kind of ideas. Uh, like we were talking just before we recorded though, conspiracy theories can sometimes turn out to have some truth as well. But let's just start. My first question to you, Delia, would be why the brain loves conspiracy theories. What is it that as humans do we get out of believing in crazy stories and wanting to believe in them or, you know, listening to them and not getting enough of them? <laughs> That's a great question, Gabby. I think the brain actually is a pattern detection machine. And that means it's always looking for a pattern. And just think about it, you know. The brain sees thunderstorm, clouds, it sees lightning, it knows, here comes rain, you know. Um, you hear a rustle in the bushes while you walk through the forest, your brain goes, oh, that could be a tiger. Um, you survived because you ran away from the tiger. Your The ancestors um, who didn't run away from the tiger, you know, didn't listen to that rustle. So I think it's really important to understand, first and foremost, the brain loves to find patterns because patterns actually led to our survival as a species. Um, so the brain is looking for a pattern to tie one thing to another thing so that next time it doesn't have to spend energy on thinking that thought again. It's actually created a little neuron, neural pathway. And so now it understands, okay, lightning, thunder, rain, perfect pattern. The other thing the brain likes to do, it likes clarity. So the brain likes to know is something up or down? Is it left or right? Is it right or wrong? Is it good or bad? You know, is it night or day? the brain feels a lot more secure when it can pin things down and understand them because that, that removes any ambiguity. The brain hates ambiguity. It hates uncertainty. It hates not knowing something in its entirety. So if anything, um, for the, you know, from February 2020 till today, um, there's a lot of things that we're completely uncertain about and we don't know anything about. And so many people's brains are grappling with that uncertainty and continuously looking for something to feel better. So the brain really, really likes that certainty. It likes finding a pattern. And when it can find tiny little pieces of information to tie together, it does so with great glee because then it knows it can actually lower its stress response. So a lot of people like believing that there's a bigger reason for something happening, you know, like a, like a global scheme. You know, the, when people say to you, oh, no, that happened for a reason, they really like that idea. And those people are actually much more tending towards being conspiracy theorists because they like to believe that nothing is random in this universe. That they don't, maybe they haven't been taught how science works, you know, to be analytical and to look at all the facts or as many of the facts as we have 
you know, at, at our disposal, but they like to think that there's some mysterious force at work. And so those people are much more susceptible. Their, their brain bias is susceptible to believing that you can tie disparate things together to find a conspiracy theory. So the brain is actually primed for conspiracy theories in many ways because it's got a natural negative bias because there's no conspiracy theory that says, hey, there's a group of people that are doing wonderful things anonymously and they want you to join them. There's no conspiracy theory that says that. So the negative bias of the brain, you know, to think, oi, that Russell is a tiger, naturally also predisposes some people to be, towards believing that the conspiracy theory is real. So when faced with something uncertain, the brain quickly does a threat assessment and it checks the thing out and then it'll say, okay, now what is the consequence of this thing that I've now seen is a threat? And that's the birthplace of a conspiracy theory because if you see something as a threat and you're worried about what the future holds, what you can do about it, and someone comes up with a theory that you have some control in that arena, then a lot of people jump onto that and hold onto that because that makes them feel calmer. They feel, okay, now there's some clarity around this complexity. That's really interesting. And like um, there that you're looking for that, that pat patterning in the brain. And what part of the brain would that be? That's, is that fight or flight? Is that the part of the brain that's active in conspiracy theories? The part of the brain that's actually active in conspiracy theories is Firstly, the limbic system, which is the hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal axis, will feel a, a sense of stress. But then what happens, the hippocampus, which is kind of like the brain's memory CEO, will jump in and say, when have we seen something like this before? Now, in the case, for example, of the thunder and the lightning and the rain, the brain will go, okay, yeah, when you see that, it means rain's coming. Okay, there's a storm coming. So that's where the hippocampus steps in. Now, in the last 12 months, 13, 14 months now, you know, we haven't had that capacity because we don't have a memory of a global pandemic most people have never lived through this before so we don't have a memory to fall back on so now what happens the prefrontal cortex which is the most sophisticated part of the brain this is where innovative creative thinking takes place this is also part of the brain that hasn't got any automatic workarounds yet because it's the most sophisticated and recent development and so this part of the brain then gets activated and so this is where consequential thinking comes in so now the brain will have this thought. And so the prefrontal cortex will say, you know, we've never encountered this before. The hippocampus isn't helping us out. So what could be the logical solution, explanation, workaround for this situation? And this is when people that are prone to thinking in a conspiracy style will then start looking for confirmation in their environment. You know, they may talk to someone that says, oh, you know, where this pandemic started or do you know what the global plan is? And so their prefrontal cortex will go, oh, I, can't, I quite like that idea because they've already got some kind of a framework that supports this belief that someone else is now sharing with them. So it's a complex interplay between the stress response, the memory center and the prefrontal cortex. Now, of course, 13, 14 months later, as we go into you know, the long-term ramifications and um, results of this pandemic, we now see that a lot of people have memories. So now they say, okay, the last time people didn't wear masks, this is what happened. Or the last time people did wear masks, this is what happens. And so they build on this conspiracy theory because now they've got a memory set to draw on. So it's a complex interplay between all these different parts of the brain, which lead people to either feel calm or need continuous confirmation for this theory that they're building you know, within their, their mental framework. 
Yeah, and also, like, I guess people's environments have shifted as well, haven't they, because of the pandemic and lockdowns and then people have got a lot of time on their hands to then maybe look into these kind of ideas and get hooked on them. What do you think of that? Like your environment, yeah, changing and you've got, no, again, about no control, I guess. I think it's, it's once again a complex situation because we don't have any control over this. We're listening to other people tell us what's happening. You know, some of us have had experience with personal um, relationships with people that we know that have, you know, maybe got COVID. So we have a different perspective or a similar perspective to other people. So this is an, an unfolding dilemma that we find ourselves faced with. I think the biggest problem is, you know, when people believe a certain way or they have aligned themselves with a particular um, conspiracy theory, what happens is that they then start looking for confirmation. And social media and the internet has provided a wealth of confirmation regardless of what people believe. So they go onto the internet and they look for some information. And guess what? That information is there confirming their beliefs. So what happens? The brain goes, great, we like that. That supports our theory. We're going to hold on to that. And so what happens is that because of algorithms and because of the way these platforms have been set up, we only get fed that information that we're looking for. If we have a particular conspiracy theory, we're not going to be confronted with something that is completely contradictory to that theory or facts about our theory. We're going to continuously be in this echo chamber. And this is where the danger comes in because when people are not exposed to other ways of thinking, um, and, you know, we touched on this before we started recording, they then become very polarized in their views. And so they believe that this is the truth. And if anybody else differs in that, you know, that belief, they then dig their heels in and they go, but I saw it on the internet. And so we have these groups of people that are becoming more and more polarized. Even people that have got facts are now pulling those facts into their conspiracy theory to support their, their bias towards a particular framework. So that's where the danger comes in. And I don't know how we're going to get past that unless we can all sit down and discuss all the different viewpoints rationally. But, you know, then we come to the point where people say, well, you know, 20 years ago, people didn't believe X. And now look what's happened. Now we know that X was, was true. And so they pull that out as proof that their, con that their conspiracy theory is right or true or, or real. And that's where the danger comes in because every now and again, there is a conspiracy theory that has a nugget of truth in it. And so people use that as a confirmation for their current belief. And, uh, you know, I think, um, and what do you think of this, that being in that environment, being in a new environment, that, that's stress, right? Would you call that stressful? Just when, when a human being is in a new environment, just like when you go on a plane and you get off the plane and you're in a new country, it's quite stressful, right? Because you don't know the language or the scenery and so is the brain always looking for a place to relax like is it always trying to is that is that where it's trying to is that where we're always being guided by the brain is that making sense i know i'm going off yeah, a bit. I just, i'm just curious about that whole like um the fight or fight and flight or fight and then not not knowing and wanting to make reason and collect collect memories about situations and was, a, yeah, like thinking about when you go traveling, I think about how stressful that can be. And because you're taking in all this new information and the brain's just trying to calibrate. Is that what it's trying to do? It is. It's trying to gather as much information as it possibly can with the primary goal of keeping you alive. 
That's mm. the primary goal. So everything that you are observing and everything that you're taking in without you realizing it is ensuring your survival. So maybe you've spoken to a friend before you go on your trip and your friend says, look, you have to stay in this place because this is a safe place. And you go, okay, you know that. So then when you get there, you naturally gravitate to that place. I think, you know, Lonely Planet um, became so popular because it was a book that gave you this huge wealth of information and you could dive into it and find out anything that you needed to know. But primarily what would guide the person was to feel a sense of safety and knowing that they would be okay in whatever environment they find themselves in. So what we're all living through now is it's a very good analogy. It is a different country. We're now living in a world where things are so different and we kind of like have to navigate our way. And what do we do in those circumstances? We often call on people who we trust to tell us what the terrain looks like. And I think a lot of influencers have, have gained even more influence in this environment because they've gone and gathered information and now they're sharing it with their followers. So to call a person a conspiracy theorist isn't actually true because they're not really making up the theory themselves. They are following somebody who has created that theory and who believes that. And so, you know, they're not the theorist, they're the conspiracy theorist follower. And so that person has assumed that they've navigated this country, this strange terrain that we're in, and they're going to tell their followers what it looks like, how to keep safe, how to make sure that, you know, what the future holds keeps them safe. Because a whole lot of these theories hinge on the fact that if you know this inside information, you can stay safe. You mm. can make sure that you don't get damaged by something or that you're not exposed to something that can hurt you or you don't believe something that's going to have a bad outcome. So it's all based on survival, thriving in an environment that we really don't understand. So it's not really an answer, but that's kind of like what we know at this point about how the brain likes to operate. Interesting. Julia, and why would some people be more susceptible to conspiracy theories than others? What do you think that would be? What, what, would, what would someone, what would be their kind of, I don't know if it's personality traits or what would it, yeah, what would lead someone to be more susceptible? It's a good question. And I think that there's a lot of research that's going to come out of this particular time in history that's going to show that many, many more people are susceptible to conspiracy theories than we thought before. Because what researchers thought prior to the pandemic was that there was a certain personality trait or personality traits that leaned more to conspiracy theories. For example, people that see the world as a dangerous place, people that are more susceptible to thinking you know, in a suspicious way, people that think that life is dangerous and a lot of bad things can happen. Those kinds of people seem to gravitate towards conspiracy theories more than people who saw life as an adventure, who saw it as a wonderful experience, who, didn't, who weren't suspicious, and also people who were more analytical in their thinking. But I think this pandemic has taught us that the human brain is much more prone to hold onto a conspiracy theory if it makes it feel better, regardless of your personality quirks. So I think that's the first thing to keep in mind. But another interesting piece of research, which I came across recently, says that people that have got more dopamine in their brain are actually more prone to conspiracy theories, mm. which is interesting because, you know, dopamine is the motivation pleasure neurotransmitter. So something, there seems to be some kind of correlation between dopamine and believing in a conspiracy. And, and I don't think they understand exactly how that operates. But there's a third point that I thought was really interesting. And this is another group of researchers have found that conspiracy theories are actually universal and they're culturally widespread. 
Now, that means that it's not just related to a particular group of people. It's related to us as a species, as human beings. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that there is some advantage to having the brain have a leaning towards a conspiracy. And that must be because it served us at some point in the past. So that means that at some point, it was a good thing for people to have some leaning towards, hey, there's a group out there who doesn't have our best interests at heart. It was a good thing for us to have that, that tendency. So that tells me that, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, we need to get rid of conspiracy theorists and, you know, we need to think more clearly and more analytically. I think there is a place for conspiracy theories because it's obviously a part of our brain's makeup. It's a construct that our brain developed and evolved with. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and I think also um, for people that are susceptible, and I think we are talking about before we recorded, is the fact that, you know, because we can't rely on the news to be the proper news service that it used to be as well. News has gone off into very much into that kind of conspiracy, you know, almost propaganda kind of style to get people to view, to clickbait and all that as well. So that that's something that I'm always kind of questioning as well. But when you say about dopamine in the brain and conspiracy theories, what I thought of straight away was because there's a pleasure in I, I know a secret kind of, yeah, being like covert and thinking that you, you've you got something over people or, or there's a pleasure in being part of that group and connecting with people. What do you think of that? That's what I came to my head, mind, like um, being in a, being part of something that only these people are part of, almost like you're too clever or something. Yeah. yeah that you know something that other people don't know. Yeah, or don't and understand, yeah. That's great insight because the evidence supports that, that perspective beautifully because they find that people that are more prone to conspiracy theories are actually people that want to see themselves as unique. They don't want, want to see themselves as being an ordinary person that believes ordinary things and knows ordinary things. So that's exactly precise, spot on. They want to be seen as unique. They want to be seen as passing on information that is unique. And interestingly, there's been a lot of research um, recently about fake news and how news travels and what makes something viral. And it's that little hit of dopamine that a person gets when they read a piece of information that they think someone else will also find enjoyable. And that gives them a little bit of social currency when they share it. So that's an interesting way to look at this because that means people in, in the echo chamber of, of their belief system and this conspiracy if they find a piece of information that makes them look good or makes them feel unique, they love passing it on because it makes them feel great and it increases their dopamine. So I think there's a lot more going on in this whole process of sharing information and fake news than we're actually really aware of at this point in time. I think it's all be going, going to become a lot more clear as we look at the data going forwards. Definitely. And Delia, you, just, you struck something in me by that ordinary people um, just being like the news because I worked in TV for 18 years. So I, I have a, I have a, <laughs> I have my own biases against news reporting the way it is today, because I just know about the political and corporate agendas and how broadcasters, they're all relying on advertising. They don't run for any other reason. If they don't have advertising, they don't exist. So they need to, uh, you know, apply the advertisers rules to their, their agendas over and sanitize the information. This is just, just 
an unfortunate fact. And ordinary people is something that the news always says. And that always gets to me, like, who are you to say? Who's ordinary? Like, you know, we're all extraordinary. I know that's probably a little bit <laughs> wanting. I think we all, because we're all individuals and we want to be seen as individuals. And I think that kind of, that sort of hypnosis of ordinary people, that, that personally bothers me. So I can totally understand people want to get into conspiracy theories and be this individual person that may know something over, over these, you know, news, these talking heads that you see on the news every night and they're telling you and it's like, hang on a minute. <laughs> that's, this is, that's my interpretation. But, um, and like you're saying, some parts of conspiracy, or we were saying before we recorded about there's an element of truth in conspiracy theories but we can only find that out in the past and that how you hang on. And we've already kind of talked about that. But further on that, I mean, obviously a lot of conspiracy theories have been proven to be true. Uh, JFK, things around 9-11, agent provocateurs inciting violence at peaceful protests. And Epstein's Island was apparently known for years and talked about for years by conspiracy theorists. So do you think because there can be a truth, the whole theory is then believed? Like that, there's these little bits of truth and then people will just take anything and everything those conspiracy theorists may say um i think particularly about someone like alan jones not alan jones alex jones in america do you know him Infowars, like obviously he's huge and he he brought up some very good conspiracy theories but then if you listen to everything he says and things he said about sandy hook were completely not true and that's the problem too because then if you get misguided by these people and then believing everything they say. Look, this it's a really complex issue because the, the evidence suggests that people will, will gravitate towards a conspiracy theory that supports their worldview. And so if you have a worldview, you know, as I mentioned, where the world is a scary place and people are out to get you, then any conspiracy that lines up with that particular worldview, you'll gravitate towards that. Now, unfortunately, in the world, there are unscrupulous people and there are unscrupulous groups of people and they are out there to undermine other groups of people. And so when we throw all the conspiracies theories out with the, with the bathwater, we realize that that's not a wise thing to do either. But how to navigate our way through all of this information is really a minefield. I think for people to realize that, you know, if an influencer is telling you how something is, and you really want to believe them, then you need to maybe just do some fact-checking yourself if you want to be a truly informed person. Because very seldom is anybody right forever. Somebody may be right for a very long period of time about a lot of things, but they may not be right about everything forever. So check those things out. And don't make rash decisions based on somebody else's analysis of the data. Go and do do diligence yourself because as you correctly pointed out the news is not the news that it used to be there's an underlying agenda that runs the news now and social media platforms are now being guided by groups of people who've got a particular worldview and if that worldview is now being used to produce the framework for how that platform will operate it may not be in the best interests of everybody for that to happen so I think we're sitting in a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of um, complexity at the moment because who's going to regulate 
news channels? Who's going to regulate these platforms? Who are the people that are going to say, look, this is the right way to do it and this is the wrong way? Because let's face it, if we really get down to basics, even the people that regulate have their own biases. And that's why we need people from a wide variety of world experience to be able to sit together and cooperate and find a way to coordinate all these different worldviews in a way that actually serves everybody. And I don't have a solution to that. All I can point out is the problem because everything that we do is related to our brain, mm. you know, and this is where people say, oh, well, AI will solve the problem. I sometimes think AI will just get rid of us because we are the problem in many ways. <laughs> so we actually have to be very open mm. to collaborating and cooperating with people who see the world in a very different way. But I think something else to, to point out here, and I know we discussed this in a little bit of detail before we started recording, is that I think a lot of people have mistaken opinions and beliefs for facts. And because that has happened, there's a real blurring of lines between, you know, what a fact is and, and what an opinion and a belief is. And so when people say, you know, this is my truth, of course, that's their experience and that's their opinion and that's how they feel about the world. But it may not be based on facts. And then, of course, we have the discussion about who says what fact. So it's a complex situation and one which I don't see us resolving anytime soon. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. And I think it's just natural for people to want to gravitate, just like you gravitate to a group of friends that you have similar um, knowledge and beliefs and what you like doing. It's the same kind of thing, just on a larger scale. So it's not, I think it's just more available and more obvious to us now that we have social media, that now we have global media, that everything's just a click away. And But also the good part about that is we live in the age of information and we can look up journals and we can read research and we have the access to volumes of information if you want to look it up and look into it. And I think that's what's... Um, it's like it's just the good and the bad, isn't it, on the extremes? But we can, <laughs> we do have that choice. We can own our minds and our mindset because all you ever have in your life is your mind. That will, that will determine what you then experience. So you can choose to feed it with knowledge, or you can choose it to, you know, listen to someone that you maybe put them on a pedestal and just believe everything they say. And it's it just becomes down to those choices, but. But Delia, just on further on that, because I've touched on the media thing since it's one of my favourite topics, but um, yeah, because people feel like they're being lied to. I feel like that's a deep level of mistrust. And are our brains always looking, is it logic that we're using to decide on social solutions? Like are people always looking for answers? I know we talked about not feeling, finding um, sort of assessing the situation so you don't feel stressed, but is does logic always want a solution? Like, are we always wanting an answer, like in our brains? Our brain's always looking for answers. Is that, yeah, is that different to wanting to assess the situation? It's a good question, and it's a bit complex to answer because the brain is always looking for an answer and for a solution, but not necessarily logic. The brain wants to do something that's going to make it feel happy. So if we have a particular mindset and a particular framework and a particular worldview, when we come across information that supports that framework, we, we gravitate to it naturally because the brain doesn't want to feel a sense of unsettled, being unsettled. It doesn't want to have a sense of 
he doesn't understand something, which is why it really lacks dichotomies. So this is, this is the problem, because unless you've been trained in critical thinking, unless you've actually done research under someone who is very knowledgeable about how to get rid of confirmation bias, unless you've actually sat down and looked at statistics and understand how they worked and understand data and different levels of data and different quality of, of data, you actually don't understand how to think critically. And that is where logic comes in. So a lot of people haven't been trained in thinking logically. You actually have to be trained in that. And they gravitate more to what makes their brain happy and what supports their worldview. And in doing so, they actually negate the logic. They don't want the logic because the logic is going to shift them away from what makes their brain comfortable. And they don't want that. So the people that have been trained in, in thinking critically are the people that are arguing with the people who are saying X, Y, Z is, a, you know, is the truth. Because they're saying, hold on a second, have you thought about this fact and this fact and this fact? And the people that want to believe the conspiracy theory aren't interested in those facts. And this is where we come back to the media and we come back to social media and the internet. If you continuously in, involved in that echo chamber that is just, you know, reiterating your conspiracy theory and your beliefs and your worldview, you're never exposed to the logic and the facts that the other group of people are analyzing and continuously looking at and updating. So, it's, it's, a, it's kind of like logic versus conspiracy theory, although there is obviously an overlap, which we can see when we look back on the situation and we'll go, oh, you know, that was logical connection between those two, but we couldn't see it at that point in time because we didn't have enough information. And, you know, as we said earlier, the, the rare times that that does happen, people jump onto that. But the point is also when we look back on those conspiracy theories that turned out to be true, the more elaborate and emotional aspects of those conspiracy theories weren't actually there. There wasn't always a, a malignant force behind the conspiracy theory. It was just something that evolved over time among people that thought they were doing the best. So it's, it's a complex issue. It's logic versus keeping the brain happy versus a conspiracy theory that you really invested in. Because let's face it, Gabby, you know, if you've believed something for 20, 30 years and you've got to now change your mind and think about something completely differently and admit, hey, you know, I was wrong for that time, it takes a certain personality to do that. It takes someone who's actually really mature and someone who's done a lot of introspection and a lot of fact-checking to say, you know, I was wrong about that and the facts state otherwise. A lot of people are not ready to get to that place. And I think uh, social media and the news is making it more and more difficult for people to get to that place because it keeps on reinforcing what they want to believe. That's so true, Julia. And I just I feel that so so strongly that you that you really need to look in. I never take anything on face value. I always like to look that little bit further. If I see a headline or read something, I will look further because I just I know that's not going to be the whole story. And um, and talking about that. That, that critical thinking and using your logic and what's good about having opposing um, thoughts or listening to people with an opposing argument is it will either make you understand knowledge that they have or you will then collate more information about your knowledge as well because they might be blind to what you know. And so what a positive that is of having a constructive um, argument with somebody and using your critical faculty and logic to understand more knowledge and or even 
yeah, like uh, like that. Um, you know, negative like, judgments can actually be positive. Like if someone judges you or criticizes you about what you know, it can push you to then even arm yourself with more knowledge because you might walk away from an argument and think, hang on, but there's and find more information that actually supports your your knowledge. So uh, not to shy away from, I think everyone's afraid of being criticized and like it is, it's that going to the place where everyone agrees and we agree even if it's something a bit not <laughs> be crazy it's we all believe and no one can kind of touch us because we can all just get in it together and and enjoy these kind of ways of thinking but you know just touching on that because it's just something I've become aware of and talking about um and I don't know why um I got an ad for Amnesty International and Doctors Without Borders both have petitions at the moment to waive the TRIPS agreement, the WTO to waive the TRIPS agreement to allow the COVID vaccine to the developing world. And it was started off by South Africa and India, and it's been signed by 10, 100 developing countries, and all the rich countries have opposed it, including Australia. So Amnesty and Doctors Without Borders have these petitions. And I went and looked up information about the TRIPS agreement and to see if there was any news service, global news service, reporting on this. There wasn't one story. There was one story in Southeast Asia and I think on an Indian channel. But there was no CNN, no BBC, no ABC, nobody reporting on this. And it really bothered me because that's something important and if it's a global pandemic and the vaccines are for public health, then why wouldn't they waive the patent so they can get to the developing world? So... Again, it's just these things get into my mind and you start to go, you know, you're not always told the truth. And that's um, that's what frightens me personally. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, think my fight against the, the, the journalistic um, levels that we are accustomed, become accustomed to, just these clickbait and, you know, and not, let's not tell everyone the whole story. And, yeah, that's, that's what I get. Yeah. What do you think of that? I think it's, a, it's hugely challenging because a lot of people don't want to go to all the effort of going to dig into the data. Mm. They want someone just to tell them that this is the case and they want to believe that person. And that's one of the reasons people want to do that is because it takes a lot of cognitive energy to go and dig and find out information. And a lot of people don't have the skills to even know where would I start, you know, looking for that. So I think, you know, it kind of like brings us down to, to what people can do practically. I think a lot of the, the stress and the conspiracy theories and the heightened feeling of stress and overwhelm has led people to feel that they have no control. And mm. I can understand that feeling. I mean, I've been on planet Earth for the last <laughs> 13, 14 months as well. And I know what it feels like when you just get bombarded with this information. And because of my training, I want to dig deep and I want to understand it. So I know that that sense of overwhelm is huge. But I think when people understand if they can just focus on what they can control, just focus on that mm. and slowly your reach grows from there. Because if you're trying to get a sense of what's going on globally and understand it at a very deep level, you're firstly going to be exhausted. And secondly, you're probably going to end up even more confused because there are different ideas within the fields of all these issues that are happening at the moment. So focusing on what we can control in our own backyard may seem like very basic advice and a very basic information and, you know, like a take-home strategy. 
But I think it's really important to do that because if you become overwhelmed with all the information that's out there, and as you know, as a journalist, how much there is out there, you can end up feeling like, you know, you're just adrift in the sea of information and conspiracy and overwhelm. And that's never going to be a solution to living a fulfilled life and being physically and mentally healthy. It's one of the reasons anxiety and depression has been rising over the last 12 to 13 months because people are feeling the sense of overwhelm. So just going back to basics, what can I control? If you focus on that, gives people a measure of, of um, control over their lives and it just allows their brain to calm down and focus on what they can do, not on what they can't. That's so true. That's great advice. And it's absolutely spot on. You cannot control the conditions of others and there's 8 billion people. So yeah, it's best to give up on that idea that you can um, do something about these things. You can only do, you can only just be, you know, the best friend or the best family member or the best, you know, co-worker that you can be and always strive to be better at those things. And enjoy your life at the end of the day you want to be here having a good time and um i think laugh at it as well like find find the funny in it all too find the the joy and the amusement and the spectacle because a lot of it is a spectacle and a lot of people are just living really good lives like you know a lot of people are just majority of people are just you know living a good life i i feel that the, the terror and the horror that is just blasted out by um, publishers and TV is just uh, overly, that's not true either. Not true that, you know, and showing all that suffering and it's, yeah, coming back to balance is always my thing. So, Dilly, is that your key takeaway? That's your advice for conspiracy theorists out there is to... I think, yeah, that is my advice. I've got to bring food in somewhere, Gabby, because... Okay, good. I love yeah. this... <laughs> I think the other thing is to make really sure that you're eating in a stress resiliency way because, you know, we're not going to get rid of the stress of overwhelm. We're obviously going to still be exposed to it, even if we really limit our exposure. And I think we just need to come to terms with the fact that stress is now part of what we're going to have to live with and it's there. And so if you make yourself stress resilient by the kinds of food you choose to eat, it's a lot easier to make good decisions. You know, it's a lot easier to stop scrolling social media and say, you know what, I need to make a good decision for my overall well-being. So I think eating towards stress resiliency is my take home as well as control what we can and that we can control can't we what we eat we can and we can switch social media off too there's no there's no have to be there you can just switch it all off i've, I've thought about it myself um did you see the social dilemma that's on net netflix at the moment i did yeah it's a wonderful show i've recommended it to so many people because it really shows a different light and the echo chambers very very yes. clearly evidenced in that show it was brilliant. And like Google it, depending where you were, um, where you were, where if you Googled something, you'd see something different. I found that, wow, that's, gosh. <laughs> I know it's too, I think also given our power and control away to social media and Google because we such a big part of our lives. So it's like taking that power back as well, taking control of your own life and not giving them all your data and all your information and all your, where you're clicking and getting them to, they're guiding you and then it's coming back at you, like you call it, the echo chamber. Yeah. Yeah, I think taking control and just making a decision about how you want to live your life. Yeah. I think in doing that, that makes us really unique because the majority of people seem to be unable to do that. And if you can do that, you'll become part of a huge group of people that want to be 
fulfilled and want to have an optimal wellness physically and mentally, just to be able to say, no, you know what? I'm choosing what I'm exposing my brain to. I think that's a radical act in itself. It certainly is. It, it is ratted today. It's very radical, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just going to switch off. Delia, thanks so much. I've enjoyed this chat. What a what what an interesting so interesting to hear about the brain and and what it's up to and what it's capable of and how it's always trying to keep us safe and how we um you know we're we're in charge we're we're in control of our lives and to take control and and that's great advice to um to look after yourself mind body spirit Delia thanks Absolutely. so much <laughs> thank you Gabby thank Good you very much. You.